I am so humbled to uh, to share a stage with Emily and Johnny. Um, right? Like, I I'm not joking. Like they're they're like big time. Right? For all seasons and. Like I was, I was joking last night when I was a youth pastor and we brought our kids up here to Hume and we did a baptism service and I went back to, to put together a, a video for our baptism service so that the people at home could see all the kids that got baptized at camp. I totally stole one of their songs and put it on there and, and YouTube has yet to, uh, you know, get me for copyright infringement or anything, but... Um, but I just I, I love the way God has used them over the years. And there was a season when we would just run into each other in the most random places. And like we'd be traveling a lot and then like in and out at the base of the grapevine. I'm like, there they are. And um and uh it's just fun to do ministry with you here this week. And then uh to share the platform with Chris Hilkin with Donna Tonis. Oh my goodness. And then you just get me at the end. I'm like, this is either like the lower population today because everybody else has left, so, uh, or, or maybe God has just brought us together uh, to hopefully hear a word this morning. That's, uh, that's what I'm hoping and praying. I, I, I'm more humbled, however, to be in front of youth workers. And, and if you came to my seminar yesterday... What I, what I closed the seminar with was this. I love the church. I love the local church. And, and when Jesus departed the earth, he left behind the church to do his will, to be his hands, to be his feet. He departed the earth and gave it to us to do his ministry. And, and I worked up here at Hume for over 15 years I was a part of this ministry, and, and something that got pounded into me early on, and, and we were just talking about this this morning at breakfast, is when Christ left the earth behind, he didn't leave behind a camp. He left behind the church. And, and it's something that I love about Hume, because Hume believes that it cannot have a ministry without you and without the church. And, and you're essential. And yet now, as, as a pastor in a church... I understand very clearly that you come up against hard times. You come up against times when you just maybe are tired of dealing with that pastor that you're working with. Maybe you're tired of dealing with the parents that you are working with. Maybe you're tired of dealing with the students that you are working with. And, and, and I am going to, uh, this is not even in my notes hardly anything is for that matter, but I am going to challenge you this morning is fight the good fight and stay. Stay in it. Don't give up quickly. I, I know far too many ex-youth pastors. I know far too many ex-youth workers that just said, I'm done with it. I don't want to deal with the church anymore. And yet the church is this beautiful thing that God is working to make his bride, right? And to present as a beautiful bride, and we get to be a part of that. So as times get hard, hang in there. As people start gossiping, hang in there. Don't listen to it all. 
We're going to talk today about an audience of one. And he is the one that we are here to serve. He is the reason we are doing this. And then he gives us the privilege of being his hands and his feet and his tools to reach a generation that desperately needs to hear him, right? All right, so let's get into this. Where are we? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I can't, Sarah could not have picked a better passage for this retreat this week. Seriously, Sarah, I, I am so grateful for this passage because this passage is not a whole bunch of really cool tools. You can go to your specialties and get that. This passage is the heart and soul of who we should be as ministers of the gospel. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I, and I go right back to last night's message in, that ended with, all Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And boy, wasn't that fun to go through some apologetics training last night. So I, I have to confess. So I, I am a seminary dropout. All right, I went to the amazing Bible Institute of Los Angeles for my undergraduate, uh, undergraduate work. I got a degree in business there. If some of you don't know how to do all the alliteration there. That's Biola, um, where I went to college. Uh, got my undergrad there, loved it, got a business degree, wished I had gotten a communication degree, but oh well. And um, about a, a year out of graduation, I'm having a moment alone with the Lord out in Colorado where I sense that God's saying, Cliff, I want you to go into camping ministry. Um, I, I, have a, a, I really have put a passion on your heart for camping ministry. And so I went off to Talbot, and, and one of the professors there had told me, yeah, if you do this degree, you're going to learn all kinds of things about camping. It's going to be great. And I started in, and what happened was I got in debt. And I wasn't learning squat about camping ministry. And so I... Um, I uh, stopped getting in debt, which was a good thing, and I said, I'm going to go work at Hume Lake for a summer. I heard that's a great place. And I prayed over my application, said, God, I'll, I'll take whatever position you give me. And, and I come up to Hume for the summer. I worked in this, this little uh, ministry that was over now where Marcom is, if, uh, for those of you that are locals. Uh, but it was called the Fox's Den. It was a day camp. I got to work with little kids uh, here at Hume in the summertime. And it um, eventually worked in the high school ministry, and then eventually came on full-time in 1997, and, and it was the greatest thing because I got to learn firsthand about camping ministry at a camp. Go figure. And I wasn't getting in debt either, even though they didn't pay me squat, and they still don't pay them squat here. Um, but it's a lot more than I made. Just, I made $1,300 a month my first year at Hume. Compute. Yeah, you, you make more than that. You better, or I need to talk to your pastor. Um, okay, that fell really flat. We're going to keep going. Um, so all that to say, I love when I get to sit under someone who really knows their stuff. And I, I saw that he's teaching a 600-level class. I'm like, ooh, that's seminary stuff. Um, this, is, uh, this was some great material last night, and I was so glad to get into that. But I... As we go into chapter 4, I want to focus us in for a second, because in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, and Donna, by the way, thank you for giving us that picture of Paul in prison. 
That was so good for me. In the presence of God, as he's writing this, and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. And, and if you've read ahead in this passage, you know today is going to be about preaching the word, all right? All right, we're going to get into it. I'm going to pretend that I'm a Southern Baptist this morning. But I have to stop at the very beginning of verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And Paul suddenly shrinks the crowd into an audience of one. Where's our internet pastor? Where's our, are you the online pastor, right? So, so we do online ministry at our church, and, and I'm always thinking about my audience, right? Who's our online audience? Who's watching? When I was a youth pastor, I'm, I'm thinking about my students. I'm thinking about how I'm setting up the room uh, to be the best for my audience of students, right? And, um, and I'd liked, I always like to get creative. One time I created a ring kind of setup that was almost amphitheater-esque. And another time I came in and, and the, all of the, the chairs were... I put all the chairs on the stage and the students sat on the stage. And I came out and I... And I preached from out here. I thought it was cool. I don't know why. Um, but I was always thinking about the audience. And yet when, when Paul talks to Timothy, his son, his child, as he would call him, he doesn't say, in the presence of the church of Ephesus, in, in the presence of all of the followers of Christ, in the presence of the brothers and sisters, he says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He focuses Timothy in. And, and can we focus ourselves in, not today, not just today, but as we go home and we start to prepare whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's our small group lesson, whether it's our, our thing that we're going to teach on Sunday morning, whether it's our online service, whatever it is, are we preparing it for the audience of one? Because all too often, I prepare it for my audience that I see right in front of me. i got to be practical. i got to this, that, and the other. Audience of one. Oh, man, I, I just... <sighs> I wish I didn't live for the pleasure of other people. I, I, I wish I didn't live to please other people, but, but I do. I, my wife will tell you, she'll be the first to tell you, I can easily be a people pleaser. The other day, she's like, I am praying. I had the, we, we have this ugly situation we're going through in our church right now. And, and it's with a, a family, a couple, who has just been a part of our church for a long time. They're amazing, godly people. And, but we're having conflict with them. And, and I want them to be happy. I want our, our pastor and our leaders and our elders, I want them to be happy. And I want everybody to be happy in this situation. And, and, and I often find myself peacekeeping rather than peacemaking. We understand the difference between those two, right? The, the, the peacemaker proactively works to, to help peace come about but doesn't stifle things and hide things. The peacekeeper will tend to just like, let's everyone be quiet. Let's everyone pretend nothing happened. 
and we'll just kind of keep going. And what we're doing is we're shoving stuff under the carpet. I like to shove stuff under the carpet. Problem is, it starts to surface, right? Always going to do that. And so I'm dealing with this at home right now, and, and I love that April's prayer for me the other day, she's like, I am just praying that you will be bold. In essence, that prayer is saying, I'm praying that you're not going to be working to make these people in the room happy, but that you're going to be obedient to what our Lord says in this given situation. And, and that's helped shift my, my, uh, my focus. But I've always been like that. And, and I remember even uh, early on in my times here, my, my first summer when I'm full-time up here at Hume Lake, and, uh, and, I, and I have a picture so clear of sitting up at Victory Circle and a counselor brings her camper to me and she says, Cliff, we, we need to talk to you. And I had one of my lead counselors that came along and we're sitting down and, and this girl is telling us an awful story of the rape that she went through. And she's like, but you cannot tell my parents. My dad will kill me. By the way, when one of your students says, my dad will kill me, there's a 99 point something percent chance that that's not true, okay? But just believe me. There's a tiny chance it is, but not much. I was so grieved over what she was going through that day that I, I, I'm like, okay, we won't tell your parents. We'll, we'll, you know, apparently the authorities have been called, maybe. I don't know. I, I was very immature in how I was handling this. About six months later, okay, so we just let this situation go off into the sunset, hoping she would be okay. Six months later, my boss calls me into his office. He says, Cliff, we have a problem. I've had a parent that called, said they heard a story that, that from their daughter's cousin that she had told someone at camp that she had been raped, but nothing ever came back to us as parents. And the next day, I'm sitting on the phone in my office calling this dad to apologize, but then to hear the story about how this daughter came home having been a straight-A student before and was now failing and, and just pouring out his heart as a broken father hurting. And, and I, I so remember I was trying in that moment at Victory Circle to, to make this person happy and, and to make a situation go well. My audience of one was telling me, Cliff, call the dad. Call the dad. He loves his daughter. I guarantee you. But I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. When God, when you are, have an audience of one, no fear. And no fear when it comes to what's next. And so, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who, here's his power, he will judge the living and the dead. I don't have to worry about the judgment in this. He is doing it. He will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, so Paul sets it all out and says, here is his authority. Here is his power. This is why he is our audience of one. With all of that in context, I give you this charge, preach the word. 
Now, I say it like that because when I was in college, there was this seminary student that was, I think they were studying 2 Timothy or something and over there at Talbot because he's like, preach the word and all day long in our dorm. We're all, preach the word. I had no clue really what they were talking about, um, but, but it was pretty cool. But, but Paul just says this, preach the word. Preach the word. And, and we have so clear the evidence of the authenticity and validity of the word that we have in our hands. And he says, do this. I loved what, what I, I don't know, what's Chip's name? Aaron? Wagon Master Emeritus Chip Aaron um, is saying yesterday, um, it's like it really does come down to the word. This is, this is what we have. Preach it. And, and this thought hit me, um, especially as Chris kept saying, like, Paul keeps mentioning a couple of dudes along the way to always say, these guys are messing up. Don't listen to them or, you know, rebuke them. But something hit me with that is that's not just preaching the word from up front. That's preaching the word in one-to-one conversations. That's preaching the word as we go about our day. The word should be a part of everything that we're doing and saying as we're going along, not just Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or whatever, or small group time, or whatever. Our, the, the word should be a part of that conversation sitting across the table at Starbucks. That word should be a part of a conversation when we're sitting at home. We should be preaching the word always. And he says this, in season and out. Be prepared in season and out of season all times. I used to live in Southern California, and California has, Southern California has two seasons, right? Summer and the other season. And, and, um, and it's like, no matter what, in season, out of season, it doesn't matter. Always we should be doing this. When, when people need to hear it and when we think people don't need to hear it. And, and so many times, I think, in youth ministry, we are so fearful of our audience. We're fearful of how they'll respond. That, and, and often we don't know our word well enough that we're, we're sometimes afraid of the power that's going to come out of it. We're afraid of that student that might walk out and not want to be a part of our youth ministry again because we said something in here that was uncomfortable to them. But that's part of that in season and out of season, and it's also part of that not just in the whole group, but in the small group, in the one-on-one. Preach the word in season and out of season. Be prepared. Correct, rebuke, and the NIV says encourage. I like the ESV that it says exhort. There's a little more strength in that word exhort versus encourage. I was like, encouragement is awesome. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. I'm like, we used to have our little Barney clubs, and we're like, let's you know, write encouraging notes to each other, tell each other how much we like each other. But exhort, exhort is something much more. It's, it's encouragement with a little bit of <clears throat> behind it, right? So, so when we correct, rebuke, and exhort, is anybody uncomfortable right now? I am, because if, if I'm in your seat, I'm sitting there going, okay, Cliff, what I'm hearing you saying is when I'm teaching Sunday morning, you want me to get up there and start pointing out their sin, 
You want me to call that person out, and you want me to tell that person, hey, you're living the wrong way, you should be doing that, right? It starts to get a little, I, I liked it better when I had an audience, when I was preaching to my audience, not the audience of one. But listen to it, how he says this, correct, rebuke, and exhort, or encourage, and he says, with great patience and careful instruction. All right, raise your hand if you listen to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast. Okay, all right. I wasn't going to do it, I wasn't going to do it, then I did it, and it, it was just like that nasty car accident, and I just can't stop looking at it, right? And, and you just, just keep watching the thing. But something that, that I observed as I was listening to some of the preaching and some of the things that were going on was, I don't know that patience and careful instruction was happening in there. When, when we correct, rebuke, and encourage, we have to do that patiently. We have to temper our expectations. We have to carefully instruct when we do that. And, and I did a, a Q&A one time in our student ministry, and, and of course, and, and on the, the paper or whatever that came up, you know, the person started asking about same-sex attraction, and, and, and like, I, 10 bucks says, I know exactly who's asking this question, I think they're sitting right over there, you know, and so I, I very cautiously answered the question with what I understood to be the biblical truth regarding homosexuality. But you know what was amazing in that moment is a, a couple of girls came with that one individual that night uh, to be there, and they never came back to youth group again because they, they still, no matter what, it was, it was a hard thing for them to hear. But the one stayed because we were able to have a conversation with understanding and with caution but still with truth. Okay, so correct. Um, mentioned in my sem- uh, mentioned, I think, in the panel yesterday, we had a uh, a student who just kept liking stuff on social media. I'm like, that's not stuff you should be liking. So can we come alongside and go? Let's let's walk through what you're seeing. Let's talk through it rather than just going, hey, that post you liked, that was bad. Let's talk about it, right? That's what I want to do with my kids. It's the easiest thing I can do with my kids is to just tell them, no. Don't do it. Don't look at that. Our son texted us, uh, our 15-year-old's back at home, and he texted us overnight to like, hey, I want to go see this movie on Friday. Can I go? And, and of course, my first thing I want to go is no. And I'm like, well, why would I say no? That's dumb. What's the movie? What's it about? Like, we need to talk through that with him and come alongside him and go, you know, is this the best choice to watch this movie? And who's going? Are these the best friends to be going with? I think it probably is going to be a good situation. But, but rather than just saying a simple yes or no, can we come alongside our students? Can we come alongside the people we are and do that, if correction is necessary, to do that with patience, to do that with careful instruction? Correct, rebuke, um, Encourage slash exhort. I love exhortation. Because exhortation is this, is this gift 
that God gives us to be able to look at someone, and let's pick out someone I don't know. I don't know you. What's your name? Jonathan? Have you been picked on already? Okay. I was sitting in the back. I had no clue. I'll go over here. We'll stick with you, Jonathan. Okay, I won't. Tom Rodonovich. I've known Tom forever. Tom. Here's how exhortation works. Man, Tom, I've watched you over the years in, in, in how you work with students. It's such a gift. Man, I would just exhort you, like, continue on in youth ministry. Don't, don't feel the need that, that you have to, like, use youth ministry as a stepping stone. Now, I would have said this to Tom 15 years ago, actually, not today. Um, truly, I would have said this. And uh, like, don't feel that need. Like a lot of people are going to say, use youth ministry as a stepping stone. You don't need to. God's got you right where he wants you. I'm, I'm exhorting you. Stick with it. He's going to keep using you in youth ministry. That, that's what a, an, an exor- exhortation can look like. Sometimes it's an exhortation towards, hey, I've, I've been watching you in, in this life that you've been living, in, in some of the things that you're doing. Like those, those things aren't pleasing to God. God, God has so much more. And, and, and in an exhortation, you see past what's happening in that moment towards what can become, what should become, what Scripture calls them to. And, and I think we're so guilty in the church so often of just saying, stop, don't, but rather say, because here's what God wants for you. Here's the better choice. Here's where you can end up. So he says, do that. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, for the time has come. Okay? I'm I'm adding in the has. Please don't say that I'm adding to the word of God. Um, When people will not put up with sound doctrine. All right? Paul prophetically writes this, the time is going to come where people aren't going to put up with sound doctrine. I say the time has come. People do not put up with sound doctrine. 25 years ago-ish, I was listening to a guy named Josh McDowell speak. And Josh McDowell was doing this message on tolerance. Okay, And, And Josh said, tolerance. I want all of you youth workers today to understand that the word tolerance in in society, moving forward does not mean what you think it means. In growing up, my life, tolerance meant, okay, I have a friend who is living a homosexual life. I think the Bible says that that's wrong, but I'm still going to love him and tolerate him, even in that sin. And that's not that that sin is okay, but, but we're going to tolerate that. We're going to put up with that. And I remember Josh prophetically saying, I, I, I don't know if Josh McDowell has a gift of prophecy or not, but he said this. He said, the definition of tolerance is going to switch. And tolerance is going to become not only that you um, simply say, you know, you're doing your thing and I don't agree, but we can still be friends. It's going to be uh, you're doing you thing, your thing, and you need to agree that that is okay and that that is right. 
it was, it was a shifted definition of tolerance that most of you in this room have grown up with and understand to be the definition of tolerance. For those of us that are Xers and Boomers, to use some generational jargon, um, that uh, we, we saw a different definition of tolerance, which really was put up with. You know, that, like, we'll put up with some of these things. We'll tolerate some of these things. We can handle it. Um, where, where today it's very clearly like, no, the, the definition of this is if, you know, if I say, I'm standing here, I'm saying I'm a woman, you're just going to go, I'm going to tolerate that. That's great. Good for you. I embrace that for you, right? Okay. That's tolerance. But what's interesting, that's just a side note. But what's interesting, as Paul says this, he's like, the time's going to come where people will not tolerate or put up with sound doctrine. So, and, and this just hit me as I was studying this, like, he's saying what is truth is now going to be flipped over and just a few syllables in there. I got it added in a couple extras. Society is going to say what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. Right? And we all woke up a couple of years ago and went, huh, how did this suddenly become morally right and this became morally wrong? Right? And so a time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires which it's a worship of self. It's not a worship of the audience of one, but to, to suit my own desires, what is best for me right now, I'm going to gather around, they said, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh my goodness, okay. This sentence is so loaded, I don't even know where to start. We could do an entire message on this. I'm going to try to keep it short. But... But the thing that hit me is like, how do teenagers gather around them a great number of teachers? How do teenagers gather around them a great number of teachers? People that are telling them the way to do things. How, do a, how does a teen do that? TikTok. Right? Social media. Oh, I hate social media. I love it. I hate it. I love it. I hate it. Right? And, and suddenly, I, I, you know, we're, we're, we're worried about the teachers that they have in their school. We're worried about the teaching that you're doing. We're worried about teaching that's happening at home. And yet, they have gathered around them and allowed into their device, onto their phone, whatever it is, a great number of teachers that are telling them what their tickling ears want to hear. Isn't that such a clear, prophetic utterance of Paul right here that we are living out 2,000 years later. And I'm sure has happened all throughout history. But we're seeing it this firsthand today. And they say, those teachers say, what those kids' itching ears want to hear. And, and the beautiful thing about social media is you can, you can listen to one person and go, eh, I don't want to have anything to do with what they have to say. Check, click the X, move on to the next thing. I'm going to find somebody that I agree with. And, and we all are guilty of this, right? 
this is this is the polarity of polarity of our culture today is we we shut out the voices we don't want to hear and and open up the voices that we do want to hear and we get angry if anyone ever tries to force their way in there um, Donna, you've been so good at recommending books. I'm going to recommend a secular book um, this morning. And um, um, I read this three or four years ago. And, and the reason this one stands out to me is, um, is it showed up in a uh, publication that I tend to disagree with most of the things that show up in this publication. Um, and so I found when I agreed with most of what was saying, my iPad is crashing. All right, the book is called <laughs> The Coddling of the American Mind. Anyone ever read that? Has anyone read that? Okay, The Coddling of the American Mind. It's, it, it's so good. And, it, and it's two guys who uh, the book first showed, or their, their essay first showed up in the publication, The Atlantic. And uh, basically, they, it got such popularity that they go, would you guys write a book about it? They write a book about it. Um, they probably don't hold to most of what most of us would have within our worldviews as, as sacred. But they see one thing is that in society, we have become really good at shutting out the voices we don't want to hear. You know, and we call it today, we call it cancel culture and all that. But um, these guys were calling this out several years ago and said, you know, this is doing damage to our culture because we, we don't listen to other voices. And we, and we don't listen to voices that could challenge us. And, and in this case, it's saying that, you know, with gathering their number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear, it, it hit me that, that we just close out. We're like, I don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it. And we miss out on truth. So it says in verse 4, they'll turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn aside to myths. We see that. But then Paul says to Timothy, he says, you, keep your head in all situations. All right? Stay alert. Keep your head. Keep your mind in the game. So distractions are going to come. In youth ministry, in church ministry, distractions are going to come. They're going to come in, in students doing stupid things, Right? They're going to come by parents coming in and criti criticizing your ministry. How come you're not playing more games? How come, how come Johnny is failing in school? You should be helping Johnny do a better job in school. I'm like, I'm the youth pastor. I'm not the teacher. Yeah, but you, you should have a better influence in his life. Um, it comes in the form of your pastor. Your pastor comes in and goes, you only, have, you only had 40 students this week? I expected 10% growth per year. What's going on? You know, the, all of the, the distractions can come in in so many different ways. And Paul says, keep your head in all situations. Keep your mind in the game. Keep remembering it's audience of one. Your audience is not your pastor. Your audience is not your students. Your audience is not your parents. Keep your head in the game. Focus on him. That's where it's going to come out. It says, endure hardship. It's youth ministry is hard. Church ministry is hard. Anything that is worth it is hard. A relationship with Jesus Christ is hard. One of my... Am I being recorded? Oh, boy. Um, Sarah, just forgive me for what I'm about to say. One of my teachers, professors in college, opened class one day, and this guy was like, 
This was at Biola, and he was like Dead Poet Society, Robin Williams, like, I'm going to like challenge all of you. If you haven't seen the movie, see it. And uh, he opens class one day, and he's like, you know what? In life, you're going to have your And if you haven't had your yet, you're going to have your later. And everyone's like, he said I can't believe it. I had one kid, like one friend of mine, he's like, I'm so mad at him. I can't believe he cussed. And I'm like, shit? Which, by the way, like, you could probably do some pretty good Bible translation that finds the word in there several times. Okay? We've just translated into dung and things like that. But this professor said that, and and I'm like, what is he saying? He's like, you're going to have hard times. Your life is going to be hard as a follower of Christ. April and I experienced that firsthand right here at Hume. We saw that firsthand when we had to hand our ten-and-a-half-month daughter back to Jesus. It's hard when we come back here, especially with snow. But in that hard, in that pain, in that suffering, we saw the face of Jesus. We saw the face of Jesus. He's real. I mean, I didn't see it. We were intimate with him. God called us to endure hardship. We didn't get to, we, we, we didn't get to run away from this. We could have. We could have shut the blinds on our house and just become selfish jerks and, and, and just gone on and just lived for ourselves and been bitter and angry at our loss and get mad at God. Why God? Why God? And believe me, we asked. But a professor in college told me I was going to have shit in my life. And he was right. Endure it. I love Darren McWaters. If you don't know Darren, get to know Darren McWaters. Listen to his stuff. He's a pastor down in Fullerton, used to be on staff here at Hume. When he speaks, he says this one, one thing that he said to me that always stands out. He said, I stopped praying to get out of situations that were hard. And I started praying for endurance. Because I realized that God is going to take you through situations to make you stronger, to draw you closer to him. Suffering will come into your life. And so many times we pray for God to remove the suffering. God, take me out of this trial. Take me out of this church situation. I hate it. Take me out of this parent situation. Lord, remove it from, you, from me. And he's saying, endure. Endure it. Go through it. April and I learned very quickly that we were called to endure the suffering that we were going through in our loss and to turn into very difficult situations and to face it head on. And in 12, almost 13 years later, we are so grateful for that wisdom that came into our lives and for those times where we made choices to go into the hard stuff. And babe, I'm sorry I brought this up. <laughs> oh, man. Keep your head up in all situations. Endure hardship. 
He says, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You guys, it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard, but it's so worth it on the other end. It is so worth it on the other end. In one of these days, sometimes 15 years later, you hear from a student that you thought didn't have a chance. And they were the punk kid that was leading everyone else in the youth group astray. And you're like, God, would you remove it? Just zap that kid and the youth group's going to be good. But for some reason, God laid it on your heart to keep loving that kid. And 15 years later, they came back and said, thank you so much for loving me. I was such a jerk. You know, I was like trying to get everyone else in the youth group to smoke pot. I'm like, yeah, I did. <laughs> that kid still hasn't come back and apologized yet. Um, I'm, I'm praying for him too. Uh, but do that work. I, I, you know, I found at camp over the years... I got an email from a kid 10 or 15 years later. He's like, on a Thursday morning at camp, you were speaking, and you said blah, 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 blah. Remember? I'm like, nope. I don't remember that at all. And yet somehow God used that in his life. God's going to use you in their lives. And so uh, we'll close out the passage because I know I've probably gone long here. Um, Paul says this, I've already, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. And he's not talking about getting, you know, freed from prison. He's not talking about getting changed into another prison, moved to another city. He's, talk, he's talking about his death. It's coming. And he can look back and he can say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Audience of one. Right? Paul looks at it and he can say in complete integrity, I did this. I did it right. And they did too. And we're looking forward to that day. And I, I'm looking forward to that day of being with Jesus. The little old ladies in my church growing up like, I can't wait to be with Jesus. And I'd be like, I don't agree. As single, I'm like, I want to have sex. Um, maybe Jesus can come after that. Um, but uh, this is, I'm blowing this recording out, aren't I? <laughs> All of you are like, I'm going to share this one on Facebook. Uh, tag my church. It'll be great. Um, Cliff, you cussed. You're fired. Okay. Um, but he said he did it right. His audience was, was one. He was reconciled. And, and, and go down into verse 11. I love it. When he's talking about like, hey, by the way, in the meantime, would you bring me my scrolls and some Bible study materials and you know, a, few things, a few other things and talk to this person and Titus. And, and then he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. And I'm going to close with this. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Does anyone know where we're talking about here? 
To me, this is one of the most beautiful moments in all of Scripture. Get Mark and bring him with you. Do you know who Mark is? Mark's the one that wrote Mark. Mark is John Mark. And if you get into the book of Acts, you find that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement over a young man named John Mark. And Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us on this trip. And Paul said, no, he deserted us. He took off. I don't trust him. I'm going to take Silas. We're going this way. Barnabas and John Mark go that way. I call it the first church split. The, the doctors in the room can correct me if I'm wrong on this one. Um, but I, I see that as one of the first major church splits in history. It's, it's deep, ugly church stuff. And one agrees to go one way, and the other agrees to go the other way. And yet we see, years later, down the road, Paul, basically, in, in essence, on his deathbed, goes, bring John Mark. He's useful. Reconciliation took place. You never know when that reconciliation is taking place, is going to take place. And that's why I say endure. Fight the good fight. Don't leave youth ministry just because it gets hard. Don't walk away just because someone was a hypocrite. You know what? You are too. And you're going to do something hypocritical down the road that's going to upset somebody else and make them want to walk away. Endure it. Fight the good fight, audience of one. Endure, fight the good fight, audience of one. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for every one of these youth workers, youth pastors that is here. Um, some that are incredibly seasoned in their ministry and just doing it every day, Lord. They're, they're, they're fighting the good fight. But we have others, Lord, that are just brand new in this and going, um, God, what, what are you, how are you going to use me? What are you going to do? And, and Lord, I just pray that you will give each of them uh, endurance. You will give them that, that ability to persevere through hard times, to see past what's happening in the moment um, to a bigger picture, and to know that you, God of all creation, you sovereign God, you are good, you are faithful, Lord, and you are going to cause good, beauty, to come out of ashes. You are going to cause great things to come out of hard times. Please, Father, give every person in this room that endurance and that perseverance to fight that good fight. And may each one of us look solely to you, to please solely you. And in that, Lord, your kingdom would, would grow, your name would be honored, you would be glorified in the name of Jesus, we pray this.